This is the Capital Literature Podcast, bringing you investment letters in audio. The Capital Literature Podcast is a SEBITS capital service for the investment community. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. All rights belong to the respective owners. Fiduciary Management Investment Council, 4th Quarter, 2021 Investment Strategy Outlook, Small Cap Equity The FMI Small Cap Portfolios gained approximately 8.6%, gross-8.4%, net, for the December quarter and 31.7%, gross-30.8%, net, for the calendar year. This compares to 2.14% and 14.82% for the Russell 2000 Index, and 4.36% and 28.27% for the Russell 2000 Value Index for the quarter and calendar year, respectively. Relative to the Russell 2000, sectors that helped performance in the quarter included producer manufacturing, health technology, and technology services. Detracting sectors included finance, electronic technology, and utilities. Carlyle, Genpact, and Aero Electronics were standout stocks in the quarter, while First Cash Holdings, FlowServe, and Herbalife Nutrition lagged. Some of the more speculative stocks have retreat ed, helping the relative performance of the small-cap portfolio. Perhaps a rediscovery of business quality and balance sheets is occurring. We remain hopeful. The small-cap portfolios have taken less risk than the market and still achieved strong absolute returns. It's easy to look back at a particular time frame and say one could have done better owning an index fund, for example, but the risk profile of the Russell 2000 has been at a very high level for some time. Valuations are at or near all-time highs. Consider this, real GDP over the past two years is up approximately 1.9% cumulatively, or less than 1% compounded, assuming the fourth quarter of 2021 comes in at the conference board's estimate of 6.5%, yet the Russell 2000 is up 37.7%, or 17.3% compounded, over this period. Investors have been lulled into a state of complacency, expecting far higher than average returns because that has been the experience in recent years. The returns are out of step with underlying earnings, normalized for the COVID rebound, and balance sheet quality. Equity buyers may not be fully appreciating the risks they have been taking. The absence of poor results ex post doesn't change the ex ante risk. A reckless driver can repeatedly run red lights without getting into an accident, but eventually, he is almost as short of wrecking. Until recently, the market has had little concern about valuations regressing to the mean, or worse, and balance sheet quality has been an afterthought. When the air comes out of the many overpriced stocks, we expect and are hopeful that the portfolio's relative performance should continue to gain. That process may have already begun, as we outline further in the letter. The current portfolio is as solid as any we can recall, from a fundamental business standpoint, and the setup from a big-picture angle also appears favorable. The team is optimistic. COVID-19 We are very encouraged by the pathway of the Omicron strain of COVID-19. In a matter of weeks, it has essentially driven out almost all of the more dangerous Delta strain. The data from South Africa, the UK, and increasingly, the United States, shows vastly lower severity, fewer hospitalizations, lower hospital stays, and fewer deaths, than prior strains of COVID. It is, of course, much more contagious, but the silver lining in this is that it speeds up the effective end of the pandemic. 
Without minimizing the terrible realities of COVID, millions of people have now gotten Omicron and have experienced modest or no ill effects, especially if they have been vaccinated or have previously had COVID. In these situations, it appears the case fatality rate is likely on par with the flu, and this makes the disease less scary. Almost everyone now has family members, friends, and co-workers who have had it, and there seems to be an increasing willingness to work through it without locking down or severely restricting economic activity. That is not true in all places, however, and some government leaders appear to be using a 2020 playbook, but gradually, more normal business activity will take hold. A strong employment recovery is now easier to envision. While the original SARS-CoV-2 and Delta variant initially hurt the relative performance of the small-cap portfolio, we believe conditions are changing. Solid economic growth is likely to resume after a few months of reduced activity related to Omicron. This will broaden the appeal of more companies and sectors. Economic Growth Real GDP for 2021 grew roughly 5.6% over the depressed minus 3.5% 2020 figure. The first quarter of 2022 is likely to be negatively impacted by Omicron, but even with this, underlying demand appears to be solid. The slowdown is unlikely to extend beyond winter. There are still about 4 million people that have not gone back to work from the beginning of the COVID crisis nearly two years ago. At least another 3 to 5 million working-age people who are no longer counted in the official unemployed category could come back into employment if work becomes attractive enough. And wages are certainly rising. We think many, if not most of the people that ceased working in 2020 to 2021 will eventually re-engage. Childcare problems will lessen as COVID recedes. Burnout will ameliorate. Most schools will stay open. Fears will subside. Lockdowns should be a thing of the past. The savings that many have been living on will be depleted. The notion that the 50-something crowd can cruise into early retirement and live off their bull market portfolios will likely prove untenable in the aftermath of the next bear market. And there will always be bear markets. The demand for labor remains strong. The Labor Department reports that at the end of December, there were 10.6 million job openings. We see economic expansion being driven by re-employment for quite some time. Inflation slash interest rates It is interesting how widespread the belief is that inflation, 6.8% in November, will be temporary, and that we will quickly return to a sub-2% rate. One look at the bond market, with a 10-year yield at 1.51%, December 31, 2021, shows the credit markets are not concerned with inflation at all. The Fed only recently acknowledged that inflation is lasting longer than they expected. Still, Powell and company see the situation as merely transient. But as we indicated in our last letter, many forces are at work to keep inflation elevated. Higher wages and increased salary expectations are becoming the norm. Cost of living adjustments in labor contracts are making a comeback after 40 years. Greater regulatory costs are becoming a permanent feature of the landscape as the administrative state continues its inexorable growth. Higher transportation and reshoring expenses will play out over years. Expanded cradle-to-grave benefits are increasingly more difficult to block, even when funding them is virtually impossible, see the chart on the left. An inflation mindset appears to be taking hold. We do not see how interest rates can remain low if inflation continues at an elevated level. Low rates are the linchpin for the investment world. Valuations depend on exceptionally low discount rates. The whole complexion changes if we move back towards something that approaches historical norms. 
the median 10-year Treasury yield over the past 65 years, as the following chart shows, is over 5%, putting today's figure in the first decile. With inflation running well over 5% and short-term rates near zero, how long will financial markets stand for negative 5% plus real yields? The last time we had today's kind of inflation the 10-year Treasury yield was over 10%. The Fed's desire to avoid roiling the capital markets by returning to a normal interest rate policy has gone on for over a decade. Jim Grant, the publisher of Grant's Interest Rate Observer, recently reminded readers that Jerome Powell himself, when he was a Fed governor nine years ago, warned against quantitative easing, K, moral hazard, and the so-called Fed put and remarked. I think we are actually at a point of encouraging risk-taking, and that should give us pause. Investors really do understand now that we will be there to prevent serious losses, meanwhile, we look like we are blowing a fixed income duration bubble right across the credit spectrum that will result in big losses when rates come up down the road. In recent years Powell has been the cheerleader of such policies, while sound money voices, such as the economist and former Fed nominee, Judy Shelton, have been attacked by the media and some politicians as having non-mainstream beliefs. The fact that nothing visibly bad has happened after a decade or so means. What exactly? That it is a good idea to print money and encourage reckless behavior? That the Fed should be in cahoots with the fiscal authorities to accommodate unbridled deficit spending? The truth is that something bad has already been happening due to easy Fed policies. As former Federal Reserve Board member Kevin Warsh recently commented, Extraordinarily aggressive monetary policy, namely quantitative easing, discourages investments in real assets like capital equipment relative to financial assets such as stocks. That's why non-residential capital investment in the real economy is running 7% below the pre-pandemic trend and 25% below trend since the advent of K.3. The Fed can blow smoke about the environment and other things completely outside of its mandate, but it is fairly clear that their policies are largely driven by a subservience to Wall Street. Time Horizon One of the most interesting aspects of investing is the role of time horizon. When something predicted doesn't happen relatively quickly, people tend to reflexively view it as incorrect. Sometimes things simply take a lot longer to unfold than most expect. The market works on its own schedule. Occasionally one that is far beyond most investors' time horizons, yet the risk inherent in an unsustainably low interest rate environment does not disappear even if nothing bad happens for years. A structurally unsound bridge can remain functional for years before, out of nowhere, it collapses. When we observe highly questionable and speculative behavior being rewarded, we always have to remind ourselves of Warren Buffett's quip about the stock market being a voting machine in the short run, but a weighing machine in the long run. Patience, combined with fundamentally sound businesses, usually wins. Market As mentioned at the outset, stocks are very rich by historical standards. David Rosenberg, the highly esteemed strategist and economist, recently said, yes, we are in a huge, perhaps unprecedented, equity market bubble, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. The market has been riding an epic wave of unprecedented conditions, including a rate structure perpetuated by a Fed that views every hiccup, housing crunch, stock market hit, coronavirus, etc., as a justification for K. They have virtually destroyed the meaning of cost of capital. Profligate and highly speculative behaviors have not been penalized much in recent years. Eventually, the Fed will likely have to deal with stubbornly high inflation and a loss of credibility. 
governments will face the consequences of budgets that have no possible chance of ever being balanced. This may feed into stagflation. Ultimately these realities get reflected in the stock market. Confidence will wobble and speculative stocks will come under increasing pressure. This process may already be underway. A number of popular meme stocks have recently taken a dive. From their highs last year, Workhorse Group Inc. is down 89.9%, GameStop Corporation is off 69.3%, and AMC Entertainment Holdings Inc. is down 62.5%. Many other high multiple stocks, high multiple of sales. Most do not have earnings, have been hammered, Smile Direct Club Inc. is down 85.4%, Zillow Group Inc. 70.7%, Peloton Interactive Incorporated, 79.1%, and DraftKings Incorporated, 63.1%. The table on the left includes some others. People who invest on momentum face a dilemma, sell into weakness as the models dictate or suddenly turn into a contrarian. History would suggest that the latter rarely happens. Speculative stocks will find a bottom after the momentum players are done selling, but that process seems barely underway. After raising a record amount of money in 2021, two-thirds of 2021 IPOs are now below their offering price. While events don't transpire exactly the same in each cycle, a similar pattern occurred in 2000. The largest, most popular names fell only modestly in the first five months after the market peaked on March 9th of that year, even while the most speculative names were crushed. Then, in the fall, the bigger names toppled. The Nasdaq 100 index dropped 82.4% from the peak on March 9 to the bottom on October 7 of 2002. From September 1 of 2000 to the bottom the hit was less than 80% greater than so most of the damage came well after the speculative bubble was first pricked. The situation is a bit more mixed today, with several of the largest companies continuing to grow nicely. And some of these are not trading at nosebleed multiples. Therefore, we don't see the markets come up and necessarily playing out completely along market cap lines, although that feature will dominate if true fear is pervasive. The Russell 2000 remains very expensive. If rates start moving toward normal historical levels, reflecting the issues we have already described, valuations are likely to decline. That should work in favor of the small cap strategy. 2021 was a good rebound year for the portfolios gaining over 15 percentage points relative to the Russell 2000 benchmark. We are confident that the portfolio will continue to be successful over the long run. Thank you for your investment with Fiduciary Management Incorporated.